Hey everyone, Justin here from Eerie Earfuls. We're bringing this old podcast back, and to prepare for the big return, we're re-releasing our old episodes every two weeks until we catch up. These were originally recorded in 2018, so the references are going to be a little out of date. In the episode you're about to hear, we discuss the topic of body modification and plastic surgery pairing one of my favorite movies, Repo the Genetic Opera, with the 2012 indie film American Mary. Due to recent allegations about the Shaska sisters, we no longer feel comfortable being affiliated with the directors or providing them with a platform, however small, so we've made some edits. Because of the shared topic, we can't cut every mention of American Mary, but we did make it as incidental as possible. To be honest, the bulk of the episode was about Repo anyway, so these cuts weren't terribly drastic, and if I hadn't mentioned it, you probably wouldn't have noticed. However, we wanted to be upfront and honest. I hope you enjoyed this episode. It's still one of my favorites in spite of the edits. And, newsflash, look forward to our first new episode dropping on Monday, July 27th. We're incredibly excited to be back, and we'll have more news soon. Stay scared, everyone. everyone, welcome to Eerie Earfuls. We never drink. One. Every two weeks we choose a horror movie double feature to compare and contrast for your entertainment. Fair warning, there will be spoilers. I'm Justin. And I'm Brandon. Our <laughs> double feature for this week is American Mary and Repo the Genetic Opera. This was my pick. I just wanted to give you a warning at the top. Don't Google <laughs> anything that I talk about. I've researched a lot of stuff, and this is the only episode where when I was researching, I kept getting the heebie-jeebies just because... With that in mind, let's pop in the synopsis tape. By the year 2056, an epidemic of organ failures devastated the planet. The megacorporation Geneco provides organ transplants on a payment plan. Clients who default on payments are hunted down by the repo men, skilled assassins contracted by Jinko to repossess organs, usually killing the clients in the process. Jinko CEO Ruddy Largo discovers he is terminally ill. His three children, Luigi, Pavi, and Amber Sweet, bicker over who will inherit Jinko. Ruddy believes none of his children are worthy heirs and instead plans to pass his fortune to 17-year-old Shiloh Wallace. Shiloh was kept inside by her overprotective father Nathan since she has inherited a rare blood disease from her deceased mother and Roddy's ex-fiancee Marnie. Roddy lures Shiloh to the Jinko first annual post-plague Italian Renaissance Fair with the promise of a cure for her blood disease. There she finds the Largo brothers arguing about their father's will while their sister harasses blind Mag, Jinko's opera singer and celebrity spokesperson. Mag uses surgically enhanced eyes but works for Roddy indefinitely as a result. She announces she will soon give her last Jinko-sponsored performance of her career. A grave robber helps Shallow escape the fairgrounds and reveals Blind Mag's eyes will be repossessed following the opera. Roddy hires Shallow's dad, himself secretly a repo man, to repossess Mag's eyes, but he refuses, citing Mag's close relationship to Marnie. Roddy invites Shallow to the opera and sticks his armed guards on Nathan. At the opera, Mag deviates from her song's grand finale, denouncing the Largo family and gouging out her eyes in a final act of defiance. Ruddy kills Mag on stage, making it look like an accident, and then tries to bribe Shiloh into killing her dad to inherit Jinko. When she refuses, Ruddy uses the last of his strength to shoot her dad, then dies from his terminal illness. The film ends with Shiloh fleeing the opera and the Jinko under the management of Roddy's daughter, Amber. So why did you pick these two movies? So I chose these two movies because both of them deal with the idea of body modification. In Repo the Genetic Opera, a plague has sort of taken over the world, and 
surgeries become available to people initially as a way to save lives by financing those organs, and then eventually it becomes sort of a fashion statement. In American Mary, Mary starts out in the world of surgery, and, and her understanding of things is a more direct, life-saving nature, but then she starts performing some surgeries on other people and begins experiencing the world of body modification. So since both of these movies deal with people getting elective surgeries to make their physical body represent a more idealized version of what they want, I, I thought that they, the way they approach these themes would be an interesting comparison. Up front, one of the things that I wanted to talk about is uh, I wanted to discuss the differences between body modification and plastic surgery and the way that Repo and American Mary deal with these two themes differently. So th these aren't official working definitions. These are just uh, so sort of something I came up with. So when I'm talking about plastic surgery, sort of the general definition that I think of is attempting to surgically modify the body to meet some idealized version of human beauty. We generally associate plastic surgery with uh, vapid shallowness. Body modification is typically surgically modifying the body to subvert the standard ideas of beauty. One of the things I found really interesting about these two movies, and I'd like to just jump into a discussion of the two of them, is how in American Mary, that movie's sort of central thesis is much more sympathetic to the body mod community. Mm -hmm. Mary starts out trying to be part of the normal world of surgery, of the medical world, and eventually she sort of finds her people and her home among the more sort of discarded ragtag groups of people. And so she, she eventually sort of develops a relationship with the people who choose to get elective surgeries, these, these people who come to her. And she says, she specifically makes a point at one point of saying, there is no judgment here I'm just here to help you mm -hmm. make yourself look like what you've always wanted to look like. In Repo, these surgeries are typically presented as vain, as over-the-top, as extraneous, unnecessary. It's like the things bored rich people do because they have too much money and too much free time. And so they're just, at this point, they're just turning on themselves and trying to sort of mutilate themselves. Mm -hmm. Frequently, the uh, procedures aren't presented as clean, nice results. They're presented with lots of scarring, heavy, big scars, with grotesque, strange changes to their physiology. Mm -hmm. Luigi in the movie, played by Bill Mosley, frequently rips his shirt open to show off his scars and to show how many different surgeries he's had. And it's not something where he's like had these scars smoothed over. He specifically has big, gnarly scars all over himself. Pavi, his brother... Also, frequently has his face traded out, to the point where instead of having a face surgically placed on his own face, on, on his body, like Amber does later in the movie, instead he just has these hooks implanted into his face so that he can just take someone else's face off, pop it on, hook it in with the hook holes, and then call it good. <laughs> he just wears it more like a Halloween mask than an actual face. I will say that in American Mary, the body mod community is presented as like these people that are like underground people that are kind of misunderstood you know like it's but it's like very much a subculture they're not within the rest of the world almost like they are in the in the real world but it's almost like they're only famous among you know other body mod people yeah and in repo it's like everybody basically 
not even rich people. It's like everybody, because obviously there's a lot of repossession, so there's not that many rich people. You know, they're getting financing through Gene. That is true. And there's a lot of repossession. So it's everybody. It's it's a much more accepted practice by society, and it's actually implied that it's like expected. That's true. Like if you can get financing from Geneco, why aren't you having your body, you know, modified yet? Having elective surgery and stuff. That's true, and I think that repos portrayal of the that type of procedure is is less sympathetic also because it it, it seems to differentiate subtly uh, in the movie I would say but repo tends to differentiate between medically necessary procedures versus getting something done because fuck it mm-hmm. you know like right. um mag's eye surgery on the one hand she has these flashy robot eyes that do things like project holograms and stuff but on the other hand she was blind and this surgery helped her to be able to see versus something like amber sweet just constantly changing out her look and then in the movie she's narratively she's punished because at the end of the movie she's dancing around on stage and trying to be like a pop star and sing and then she spins around and her freshly placed on face (laughs) falls off Relatively uh, gruesomely <laughs> and humorously. Oh, yeah. In case you didn't know going into this episode, Repo is a musical. <laughs> and American Mary is, is not, not a musical. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I do find the music, the music is such a core aspect of Repo since it's a musical that we could talk forever just on the, the weird delineations. Right. So I can talk a little bit about the music. If that's okay. Yeah, go um, So obviously there's more to the music in Repo because it's a musical. And so there is a lot more going on there that could be analyzed. And some of my uh, favorite songs were ones that were used not only in the play, but also in the movie. So Legal Assassin, that was one that was featured. I think that's like the first song in the play or in one of the versions of the play, at least the soundtrack that I listened to. Money, I need you now. Look what I've become. The nightmare that she should fear. Is the father you left alone? It's still a good song, and it transfers well to the movie. And 21st Century Cure is another one. It's a little different in the play. There's a little bit more exposition in the song, like the grave robber dude provides more exposition that's in the movie provided in like the comic book things yes it struck half the planet organs were failing some 10 million dead then chingo bingo they rode in like heroes affordable organs fashion unsurpassed so gene cole could lease you and piece you like Sweeter gifts still come from those who have passed. So why care for these petty obsessions 
Your designer heart still beats with common blood. And what if you could have genetic perfection? Would you change who you are? For me, I'm always a sucker for exp- exposition delivered in musical form, so I would have been Same. fine if they would have left it in there without the comic things, but that's what they wanted to do. It's a stylistic choice, whatever. Night Surgeon is another one, and I think that one is a good one. Chase the Morning is one. It's in both, but it's completely different in both. I really, really like the version that was in the play. Basically, this is like where you get attached to Blind Mag. And where Shiloh gets attached to Blind Mag, because Blind Mag is basically acting like her mother figure, you know, and like she's talking about how much she knew her mom and how much she sees her mom in her. And she was like, if she were here right now, she would be telling you to go out there and live your life and chase the morning and da 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 da. It's this really inspirational song and it's nothing like it is in the movie, um, instrumental wise, too. It's like this nice piano accompaniment duet. It's just piano and like them singing a duet and it's really stripped down and it's this nice, wonderful moment between two characters. And it's still a nice moment in the movie. It's just way more stylized. Name stars and constellations, count the cars and watch the season. I wish we could have watched together. I can't have guessed. Never. Ever. If dad found out that I'd been let out or that you'd been let in, I should go then before I do. Promise me you won't. Better that you don't. Don't forget me. Shelter rooms. Best of But at the same time, it's also different. Like, they don't get to bond as much in that song in the movie. They're more just like, you can't be here. Well, I'm here now. Well, you can't be here. My dad won't like it. And then they kind of do. And it's not, they don't so much bond because she's giving her, like, great advice or whatever. They're bonding because she has seen performances of Blind Mag, you know, out her window, and she thinks it's something that's nice to aspire to, I guess, you know? And then she finds out that Blind Mag's in trouble. They're gonna send the repo men after her because Amber wants to be the big star of Co now. Well, that and, and Mag, I'm, I'm pretty sure Shiloh knows that Mag knew her mom because she does. And Mag that, has yeah. that recording. And they cover that in the song. But it's just different. Like, I... I didn't like it nearly as much. I feel like them trying to stylize it within the movie world yeah. made the song suffer because which is and, a shame. And where because, they put it in the plot. Yeah. They put it kinda late in the movie for those two characters to be right. meeting. Narratively, well, I mean, in late. the in the play, it's also late. Uh it's well, all, I, mean, I know, know, but the the move the play is also very short. It's only like right. I think a half hour long. Um there I think there are versions of it you can find on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And um I think the play is only like a half hour long. Whereas in the movie, that meeting happens like right before the big genetic opera. Because the last, I think like the last 30 minutes of the movie, maybe maybe I'm overestimating, but like a huge chunk of this movie is just the finale. It's right. just, because mm-hmm. most of the movie is build up, and then, but then like a chunk of the movie is just 
fallout from everything happening in quick succession, one right after another, dominoes all falling over and finally falling into place. Yep. So these two meeting happens almost immediately before the big opera. Mm-hmm. Like It's like that, and then we get Night Surgeon, where Nathan gets hired to kill mm-hmm. uh, Mag, and then Shiloh gets snuck out by Roddy to go to the opera, and then it's the opera, and everything's fucked. Yep. If I remember correctly. I think that's about right. And it's just... Uh, like, you know, you know how much hatred I had for this movie the first time I watched it. But when I listened to the play version of that song, it's wonderful. And if they would have left it in the movie like that, I probably would have liked this movie like 10 times more than I do right now. And then they had the song called Choice, was a, which was a very interesting song in the stage version. It was a duet between Blind Mag and the repo man, Nathan. And she's basically, like, kind of taunting him a little bit. Like, well, you know, I'm your daughter's godmother, but also, you know, you have to repossess my eyes. So what's it going to be? You're going to have to make a choice. And that's, like, the, what the whole song is about. And technically, that song is used in the movie, but also not. It is at the beginning of the movie, the first thing you hear at the opera tonight. That oh. is the melody from Well, Choice. that's not the beginning of the movie. That's later in the movie. No, that's That's like... the beginning of the soundtrack. Oh. The first song in the movie is Things You See in the Graveyard. But it was weird because some of the lyrics were the same. They were just being sung by Shiloh instead of Blind Mag. But then other lyrics were completely changed to fit the situation. And all those little interjections of the Repo Man thing make sense in the song Choice because she's like, pointing at him like you have a choice to make repo man and then the chorus people go repo man you know that makes sense mm-hmm. and in at the opera tonight it doesn't really other than mm, it's kind of a cool effect but it doesn't really like but it doesn't really like uh you know and then there were two songs in the original stage version that were not included in the movie and i felt like they should have been included because one was literally called but this is opera, opera. This blind bag. Who takes this stuff serious? Blind bag. This sounds ridiculous. Blind bag. Oh, ridiculous. I know. But this is our And the entire song is just talking about the absurdity of opera because they're they're like pointing out all these plot things and they're like but she's dating so and so and they're these kids and whatever you know and the whole point or the whole 
consensus of the song is like, but this is opera. It's supposed to be that way. It's very... Uh, Ironic? No. Self-deprecating? Yes. It's very self-deprecating because it's poking holes in the in the thing that it's trying to create, you know? And it's very funny. And, and it's also kind of a jazzy song. The instrumentation in the play version is much more stripped down. And also there's more musical variation in the play version than there is in the movie, I feel like. Because there's But This Is Opera, which is kind of a jazzy-ish song. And it's very absurd. And then there's Come Up and Try My New Parts, which, if I remember correctly, is a song that Amber sings to the gravedigger because she's wanting some... I can't tell from the situation, like, she's wanting some Zydrate, but she doesn't... She can't pay for it, so... She just wants to have sex with him. And the whole song is just Come Up and Try My New Parts. And it's a like a very swingy jazz song, and it's very funny. I do think that there were some positive additions to the movie that made an impact, like um, Zydrate Anatomy is one. That's one that a lot of people like. Zydrate comes in a little glass vial. A little glass vial? And the little glass vial goes into the gun like a battery. And the Zydrate gun goes somewhere against your anatomy. And when the gun goes off, it sparks and you're ready for surgery. Surgery. That's sort of the song of the movie. Yeah. Like, that's the thing that everyone remembers is the Zydrate comes in a little well, glass vial. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Although, not my favorite song, and I don't usually like the statement, ask a question and then restate the thing. I'm not a huge fan of that. <laughs> Um, response sort of i mean it's like i'm gonna provide some exposition right now yeah and she's like the thing i just said and he's like the thing i just said exactly <laughs> and i'm like it's very music man ever meet a fella by the name of hill 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 no just a minute just a minute just a minute never heard any salesman hill now he doesn't know the territory doesn't know the territory what's a fella's line never worries about his line never worries about his line or a doggone thing he's just a bang beat bell ringing big hole great go neck or nothing rip roar and every time a bullseye salesman that professor harold hill harold hill what's a fella's line what's his line he's a fake and he doesn't know the territory that makes sense in that context because it's a very erratic conversation between like five different dudes and they're all trying to tell about you know the latest gossip that they've heard about this guy but it's all very on top of each other because that's how conversations happen sometimes when you have five people in the same conversation mm -hmm. but in this context eh, it's just like a thing a gimmicky thing that makes it a little catchy i guess and uh, anyway so zydrate anatomy and there's one that blind mag sings called chromagia which is really good Um, it's it's good and it's in it's a song entirely written in italian and it's a very fascinating song because the entire song is in italian 
And it's about this bird that had a close call with an archer and almost gets hit by one of the arrows. And instead of confronting the situation, the bird flees for years and stays away because it constantly thinks it's afraid, you know, it's afraid and it's going to be pursued by this archer. And in the song, it's asking, like, why don't you face your danger? Why don't you face your fears? Do you feel guilty? Do you feel whatever? And then at the very end of the song, it goes into English and she's talking about uh, you know, it changes the situation, you know, from the archer's arrows to my eyes or something. And that's where she gouges her eyes out. So it's a very interesting, very poetic song, completely written in Italian, about this metaphor, how this bird, you know, was so afraid and lived in fear for years. And why would you... It's a very operatic song, too, because that's something that you would do in an opera. Instead of singing directly about the situation, you would sing about something like a metaphor and then analyze the metaphor and how it applies to your situation. That's very operatic, too. Gold is also a good song. I like that song. I think it's very character-developing. I just think it's poorly arranged. It should be more stripped down and just, like, piano and whatever, and the guy singing. Or, and maybe some strings, maybe some guitar a little bit, but no drum set. The drum set just drags it down, and it makes it feel so much slower than it is. As for as I got Nightmares Degenerates Who would wait Every cent of my gold It makes the world around Gold It makes the world around I think it's the drum set that makes his full operatic voice in the song yeah. sound out of place. Yeah. I would tend to agree. And actually, uh, surprisingly, there were three songs from this movie that were on the shortlist for the Academy Award nomination for Best Song. Really? Yeah. And they were Zydrate Anatomy, Chromagia, and Chase the Morning. But then there were some that I didn't like. Uh, one was Thankless Job. Not a huge fan of that song. I feel like um, the only thing that saves that song for me is Anthony Stewart Head's performance of the song. Um, he completely makes that song work. If it had been anybody else or anything, it would have been one of those songs where I'd been like, what are we doing right now? Not a huge fan of Mark It Up, even though I understand what they're doing and it introducing the zany aspect between the kids, you know. Javi and Grouchy and Winky and whoever their fucking people are. <laughs> and one of the songs that I also had a problem with was Infected. And I get why they put it in there. Because she has to have her own song talking about how she's mad because, you know, she's infected. And she's mad that she's been put in this situation not from her own doing, you know, just by being born or whatever. But at the same time, I feel like it's a song that's not written with much care. It's just kind of slapped together and shoved into a movie. So the part that I like about the song is the hook. I wouldn't really call it a chorus because, uh, I don't know, it's not. The, you mean the, like... I'm infected by your genetics. Yeah, that is, is interesting. It's enticing enough for you to be like, I want to know where they're going to go with that. That part is kind of interesting lyrically and musically, you know? But then the words are, like, 
dumb. <laughs> like, I was reading them and I was like, I don't like this. And I don't like the melody that they paired it with either. This section that I chose was... Shiloh, you're my patient. Shiloh, be more patient. You have limitations. Don't go chasing flies. I must be protective. You cannot be reckless. That's what is expected when you are infected. And I'm like, those should rhyme. Those should rhyme. Like, the structure of the song, I get what she's trying to say, but those parts should rhyme. I literally rewrote that second one in, like, 20 minutes, maybe. And it's not good, but at least it rhymes, and it makes more sense musically in my head, and it made me feel so much better after I rewrote it. And I even kept it mostly the same. So I rewrote it to be, Shiloh, you're my patient. Shiloh, be more patient. You have limitations. Don't go chasing flies. I must be protective. Follow my directive. That's my situation. Waiting here to die. And then she can go into the hook. I'm infected by your genetics. And it would be, like, satisfying because stanza rhymes with other stanza and then hook chorus thing. Logically, that's how it should work. And it doesn't. And the fact that they left it in there drives me crazy. So sorry, what were you going to say? That's not in the movie. What? Yes, it is. <laughs> that line is not in the movie. I was actually going to bring that up earlier because that is a lyric that's cut from the movie. And I think it was cut because it talks about her bug collection and they dropped the entire Zydrate bug connection. Like that whole plot is cut. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why they cut that line. Well, even if I left that stanza out, it still wouldn't make sense because it would be... It still doesn't rhyme. Like, condition yep. rhymes with condition, and then, hear me, disease, sequestered, collection, expected, infected. Like, then <laughs> no rhyme, no rhyme, no rhyme, no rhyme, and then two rhymes. And then, it is infuriating to I, me. I totally agree with you there. Whether my example was prudent or not, it is on the soundtrack. And the fact that it's oh, on it the soundtrack, is, yeah. or that they even fucking wrote it at all, and that <laughs> I rewrote it in 20 minutes to make it rhyme and sound much nicer. The fact that no one took the time to do that is infuriating. You'll have to forgive me. I was trying to pick a song that literally almost everybody knows and everybody can understand what I'm talking about without just it completely going over your head. And the only song that I could think of doesn't really fit with a horror podcast or with the material that we're talking about today, but it is an example of good songwriting. And it is part of your world from The Little Mermaid. That horror classic. <laughs> Look, it's a very Faustian tale. Young innocent girl sells her soul to to uh, an evil witch. Yes. It's, it's, it's horrorish. Sure. <laughs> it's, it's very interesting what he's doing with the lyrics in Part of Your World that could have been done in this song to make it so much better. There are so many just little tiny things that could be done to these songs to make them so much better, and it would have made the movie as a whole maybe received better. Uh, I'm sure everybody's familiar with Part of Your World, and I'm not going to try to sing it, so I'm just going to talk lyrics-wise and what the melody does. I want to be where the people are. I want to see, want to see them dancing, walking around on those, what do you call them? Oh, feet. <laughs> and then, and so there's not much of that that rhymes, right? Right. It's like a whole stanza, and it ends with feet. But then the next part... Flipping your fins, you don't 
get too far. Legs are required for jumping, dancing, strolling along down a... What's that word again? Street. That rhymes. So it ties it all together. So there's no rhyme except for feet and street, but it's being tied together with because... A Yes, it's being tied together with a rhyme, and the melody is doing the same thing twice, and it's ending on the same rhyme. Um, and then she goes... Up where they walk, up where they run, up where they stay all day in the sun. Which is a very interesting part, because up where they walk and run, both go up, but walk doesn't rhyme with run. But in the next line, where she says, up where they stay all day in the sun... Sun rhymes with run, and it's like the ultimate climax of that phrase. Mm-hmm. And so, sun rhymes with run, but also the stay day, that little mini rhyme in the middle of that yeah, line is interesting. And then later, that happens again. She goes, I'm ready to know what the people know. Ask them my questions and get some answers. What's a fire and why does it, what's the word, And that's like the big moment where we're building up to the climax of the song. And then she says, when's it my turn, which rhymes with burn. And so it doesn't quite make sense within the context of the song. But also earlier, walk didn't rhyme with anything. So that makes sense. And it's interesting that he's tying it back to burn. And um, and then she goes, Which is a great moment, because there's another one of those little mini rhymes within the phrase, and love rhymes with above. It rhyming matters, people, okay? (laughs) That's the point I'm making, is rhyming can make all of the difference. Rhyming and specifically wordplay can make all of the difference when you're talking about a good song and a not good song. The very climactic builds that are not only built into the words, but are built into the music of part of your world. Make it a very satisfying listen, even as somebody who has like two music degrees and you wrote an entire thesis about all these different operas. It's still a satisfying song to listen to, and it's intriguing. It has interesting elements. Infected could have that, except it has a monotone, not-so-great melody, and it has lyrics that don't rhyme, except when they do, sometimes, maybe, kinda, on occasion, (laughs) and whenever they fucking feel like it. And then it has an interesting hook. Uh, So there's one more thing I wanted to talk about. Uh, I wanted to sort of circle back around to to what started this conversation, and that's body modification and plastic surgery. Because I was looking up the history of both of these things, and it was an interesting bit of research because it was trying to delineate what is body modification and what is plastic surgery and what do we consider which which thing do we consider which so cuz like i said earlier body mo- plastic surgery is typically things that one does to make oneself more idealized and in western culture that's a very specific image especially of women but also of men and it it's interesting because plastic surgery as a term is generally considered negative. People, when we think of plastic surgery, we think of, uh, of vapidness, shallowness, vanity. The term plastic surgery comes from the Greek word plastic or plastique or something. And that means sculpting, sculpting and reshaping. And that's all it means. But plastic has also come to mean fake or unnatural or cheap. I, I guess due to like cheap toys 
uh, some some of the backlash against plastic surgery is that it comes across as feminine. It is a thing that women especially get done because society is so harsh on women's looks that they try to fend off the natural result of aging as long as possible. It's it's a thing that that is almost in some ways almost forced on women. And then women that choose to do that are then ridiculed for trying to continue to meet these standards. So plastic surgery originally seems to have, uh, from what I can tell, the earliest examples of it are around 3000 BC. Ancient Egyptians used to try to do surgery to repair broken noses uh, when people had broken noses to try to fix them and make them look normal again. The Romans around 1 BC repaired damaged ears. And uh, it, it caught on, it seems like it, it came upon like sort of independently, almost. In the 15th and 16th century in Europe, plastic surgery, as more as how we think of it nowadays, started to sort of come up because there were a lot of syphilis outbreaks. And one of the symptoms of untreated syphilis is that your nose rots off. And uh, surgeons of that time period would remove skin from the back of people's arms and then try to build them a new nose. The first American plastic surgeon, at least from what I could find, was John Peter Medauer. That was around 1827. Or, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, the first American plastic surgeon to perform a cleft palate operation. What's interesting about plastic surgery is that when you're looking stuff up like that, how much of it is considered cosmetic versus how much of it is considered fixing a defect? And where does that line occur? cleft palates, it, that's not like a life-threatening thing, but it's something aesthetically that people generally want fixed. I guess it could be life-threatening or, or at least health-threatening, depending on how severe it is. But anyway, that's the type of thing where like, it, it was interesting to look at where those lines got drawn. Cosmetic surgeries became more common as painkillers became more readily available and as anesthesia became more readily available and better. There, for example, there's a company in 1901 that advertised treatments for nose, protruding ears, and wrinkles, which they called the, like, the effects of time. And uh, there were a, a lot of plastic surgery happened after and during World War II or World War I. Uh, soldiers came back suffering from facial disfigurements from like mercury poisoning or from fires, from burns and stuff. And there was a doctor, uh, Sir Harold uh, Gillies, who worked to repair a lot of that. But a lot of plastic surgery and a lot of elective surgeries like these, I already mentioned it some, some of that's tied into sexism. There's this impossible idea of what a woman's body should be, and therefore these surgeries exist to try to reach that ideal. But it's also tied into racism. A lot of advertisements from like the 18 and 1900s feature soaps that depict washing the black off of black children. It'll, uh, there's a Paris soap ad from 1884 that shows a kid in the bath and whenever the kid gets out of the bath the soap is supposed to be so good that it literally washed the kid until he became white which implies that darkness is something that needs to be corrected and that lightness is the correct way for skin to look which is not true but that and leads into um different types of elective maybe not procedures, but elective things like uh, lightening creams and lightening procedures that will lighten, sort of strip the pigment out of skins. And a lot of that was marketed toward black women, especially to try to make them look whiter, to look supposedly more beautiful, uh, more the ideal of beauty. The lighter skin someone looked, the, the, the better it was supposed to be. 
um, Julie Chin, who is a famous news anchor, actually had her eyes, had surgery on her eyes to make them look, uh, if you could see my finger quotes, you would see, see them less Asian uh, because she was told she looked too Asian. So it's interesting that plastic surgery is typically shown to be a vain thing, but it's also done to do things like fix disfigurements, to fix like polydactyly, where someone is born with too many fingers or too many toes, or syndactyly, where their fingers or toes are fused together. Um, reconstructive surgeries to fix like burns and different scars that, that might disfigure someone. Reconstructive surgeries to try to like rebuild someone's hand to make it somewhat functional after it's been crushed or smashed or something. That's all plastic surgery. But when we say plastic surgery, we're generally thinking of cosmetic surgeries done to make women especially look like what society wants them to look like. Body modification is interesting in that it's one, considered more alternative and more dangerous and two, in a way, considered more desirable. Generally, it's not considered by, like, the general public as, as like, a positive thing, but it's also not scorned immediately with the, like, connotations of vapidness that plastic surgery is. I'm not saying it's accepted by any means, but also it kind of is. Like, tattoos and piercings are becoming much more common. Uh, I mean, implants aren't, like, those 3D implants and things aren't. But um, there, there is a certain level of body mm. modification of the body mod community that's becoming more accepted. I do have questions, though, about some of the stuff in American Mary, because there are some things that I'm not sure are actually a thing. For example, voluntary amputation is a thing that she mentions. I'm not entirely convinced that that's a thing. I mean, I'm sure it is sort of, kind of. But I think it's a thing. I, I found a few things that were mentioned by mm. people as having been body mod type procedures that I don't believe is an actual general feature of the body mod community. I believe suspensions, I believe scarification and implants, piercings and, and things like that. All of those are things that I'm like, yeah, I can see that. Uh, like filing your teeth down. I've seen people do that. I've seen people split their tongue. Uh, I've seen all that. One of them I've read was eyeball tattooing, where you inject pigment into your eye, into the white part. Nope, I don't believe it. I believe some people have done it. I don't believe it's like a thing. I don't think it's a fashion trend generally. Eyeball jewelry, where small, <laughs> I guess metal, pieces of jewelry are inserted under the surface of the eye, under like the, the sort of clear membrane, inserted underneath that. Also don't believe that's a thing. I read an article about a woman who did it, and I believe she did it, but I don't think it's generally a capital T thing. And I don't think voluntary amputation is either. I googled it and I couldn't find almost any records of it happening. What I read about is that there were like 300 recorded records total of people having their limbs voluntarily amputated. And all of those people had some form of like body disorder where as kids they saw amputees and somehow it triggered something in their brain that made them obsess over them. You know, some of it was considered sexual in nature. And then, like, the more extreme versions of that, some of it was being attracted to amputees to the point where, and then some of it was to eventually want to become an amputee, which is, maybe I don't understand it, and maybe I just haven't read enough about it, but it seems disrespectful to people who have to undergo actual amputation for medical reasons, for someone to just be like, yeah, I just didn't want my left hand, it just didn't seem like me, more of a right hand person. <laughs> But then there were things, there's other body modification procedures that are different. Uh, for example, neck rings and lip plates are two very 
images that people would think of if they were thinking of foreign examples of body modification. And the lip ring is like a, it starts out with an incision inside the lip, and then these little like plates are put in there, and gradually larger plates are put in to stretch the lip out and stretch the skin out. And from what I've read, that's often used as like a status symbol, like the larger the plate, the more financial, the higher financial status and higher social status someone might have. And then, um, the, the neck ring thing was similar, like the longer necks were considered more beautiful and an, an example of higher society. Weird side note, those aren't actually longer necks per se. Those rings that people put around their neck is actually forcing the collarbones and the clavicle down. It pushes the shoulders down. It doesn't actually elongate the neck. Hmm. Weird. The neck rings, I read some controversy. Some of it seems like it's voluntary, but also a lot of it seems like some, some of it is like forced on kids when they're very young so that their bones are still bendy and then they can do it without like as much pain mm -hmm. as it would be for an adult. But also that comes into this idea of consent and whether kids can accurately give consent. And then there's other types of body modification that aren't voluntary or are sort of oppressive, like, like foot binding to make feet seem smaller or, or like um, circumcision where you're like removing chunks of sexual organs from, from someone that, that can't give consent. And then there's things that I've read about. I was reading about uh, teeth blackening, which was a popular thing in ancient Japan. Uh, from what I've read, it was considered desirable and, and beautiful to have blackened teeth, to use this dye to blacken the white teeth to make them darker. And the reason that it was used is because white rice powder was used to make the women look whiter and paler in the face. But that made the teeth look more yellow, so to overcome the problem, they just dyed their teeth black entirely. So it became like this desirable look to have. White face, black teeth. And that's all I got, as far as that goes. Uh, but I find it interesting, I was curious how much of American Mary was- I, I, I believe almost all of it. Like, I, I totally see the implants, I- the like, the horns people put in their head or the shapes, I totally see tattoos and different sorts of genital modifications. And I can even see, so far as someone getting a bunch of surgeries to look like Betty Boop, or to have the nipple removal, I believe. I believe, I can totally buy someone doing that. Uh, or to, like, make themselves look like a doll. I mean, I saw, the, like, there's that famous guy who had his teeth filed and tattooed to look like a tiger, and he got contacts to make his eyes look with that, like, cat eye look. But voluntary amputation is one of those things that I just, I have a feeling that it and the eyeball jewelry and the eyeball tattoos are kind of like Tide Pod eating. It wasn't actually a thing, but it was easy for people to go, oh, that, yeah, that's the kind of stuff that they're into, the, these people. Where I think voluntary amputation and some of those other things are <laughs> more extremely fringe cases. And again, maybe I'm wrong and maybe someone from the body mod community will be like, mm -hmm. you're dumb and you don't get it. And that's, I mean, fair. Maybe I don't. But... I just didn't, I was curious about that moment. It seemed like when they cut off, when she when she did the arm yeah. transfer for the twins, that didn't seem like a standard procedure as much as unique to those two. Right. Okay, I think that just about does it. Uh, thank you very much for being here to talk with me about this today, Brandon. Thank you. And I appreciate you giving Repo a fair shake, even though you ultimately <laughs> didn't like it. <laughs> yeah, I still don't ultimately like it, but it's always good to dig deeper, you know, to try and figure out why you don't like something or to give it a second shot to figure out what parts you did like and didn't like. So it was fun. I enjoyed it. You can follow us on Twitter at eerie underscore earfuls. 
email us at eerie.earfuls at gmail.com. And you can also visit us on the web at eerieearfuls, all one word, dot wordpress.com. You can subscribe to us on CastBox and iTunes. Uh, Give us a review. It helps other people find the show, and it lets us know how we're doing. Our theme music is Baba Yaga by Kevin McLeod. Our synopsis music is Anxiety and Night of Chaos, also both by Kevin McLeod. Find more music at incompetech.com. Thank you for listening, and stay scared, everyone. Roddy kills Mark. <laughs> March. <laughs> I think we got it. <laughs> you might just re-record all this, but instead it's blind Marge. <laughs> blind Marge. The lunch lady. <laughs>